bad and bullshit. Welcome to the Bad and Bitchy Podcast. I'm Erin. And I'm Erica. Erica, hi. Hi. I know you've had a really busy week. You've uh, been doing a lot of media, a lot of events. And so I just want to check in to see how those went. I'm exhausted. This is going to be an interesting podcast because I have like no English language skills left. And I don't realize how how much like if you're at an ev- if you're doing an event day after day after day. So I did three in a row, basically, if you include Twitter spaces, it really does take a lot out of you. But I have to say it is, it was one of the most rewarding weeks I've had because, and that's the thing about this work, right? It's, it's, it's depressing (laughs) at times. And at the same time, it has such great capacity for rewarding experiences. Mm -hmm. And these experiences were really rewarding. I mean, I had an event with Operation Black Vote and Selena Cesar Chavan, and it was, it ended up being amazing because Selena in Black Spaces is next level Selena, okay? I can only imagine. Oh my gosh. She was like, girl, that's not the question you want to ask me. (laughs) I was like, Lord. Anyway, and, and sometimes she'll, she'll chips and she'll be like, and sometimes like, it's just very familiar. That was a poor chips, by the way. But what impressed upon me was that we were in a space of black women at the end when everybody left, by the way, all the great tidbits come out from me after hours. Mm-hmm. So if you, if, if you are like seven to eight, and you leave that space at eight o'clock and I'm still talking, you're going to miss the eight to eight 30 tidbits, mm-hmm. which drop. I give value to people who stick around. Mm-hmm. So anyway, eight o'clock comes. So I'm like, Oh, here we go. This is where the good shit starts. Cause this is when you get like more discussion and literally the rest of the, it was mostly black women, all black people in that. Well, except for maybe one or two. And the conversation was so different without the white gaze. And because there were no white people in that space, we cried because we were all commiserating on our experiences. We laughed. We supported each other. We mentored each other. It was amazing. Amazing. So I just want to say shout out to Velma Morgan and of course, Selena and Operation Black Vote and all the great work that they're doing. And also, so the next day was like an Ask Women Anything. So it was like an Ask Me Anything. Yeah, I don't really prep for those things. I just like kind of riff off the top of my head. And and I just like gave some tidbits of, you know, stuff that I've learned. Again, 8 to 8.30. (laughs) That's I started dropping tidbits maybe at 10 to 8. And then, you know, the mic drops always come after hours. This is actually kind of aligned quite well with what we were talking about earlier this week regarding this very podcast in that it takes us usually 15, 20 minutes to work out the kinks of how we're feeling and just kind of getting loose and into the flow. And then all of the good stuff comes after 20 minutes. Literally, that's how it works. And there's a crescendo effect. 
Totally. And that's a really great reminder to people that if you are not a subscriber to become one, we have a tiered subscription model. You can pay monthly for $7. You can pay annually for 75, which is about a 10% discount, or you can become a founding member for $200 per year. And becoming a founding member does get you a little bit extra, such as private events with Erica and myself. First one of those is coming up sometime in, before Christmas. So, and we have a mega one that we're thinking about. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so absolutely. excited for this one. <laughs> we just chatted about it before we started. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> if you want to become a paid subscriber or just become a free subscriber to get access to our weekly-ish newsletter, head over to badbitchypodcast.substack.com. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And also, in addition... Um, when you become a paid subscriber, you actually get our Google Doc link to figure out what sources we're using, what videos we're looking at, basically summaries of what we're talking about. And Erica puts a lot of work into them. She loves putting them together. So I do. Yeah, you would I greatly do. appreciate it if you were able, if you read it. Yes. <laughs> yes. All right, Erica. So let's get into it. This week in feminism, we're headed west. Yeah. We're going straight to Alberta. To visit Erica's parents. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> totally. So Albertans went to the polls on October 18th, electing civic governments across the province. Despite the best efforts of Alberta's United Conservative Party, the provincial government in power, that tried to tilt the playing field steeply in favor of right-wing candidates, voters in both Calgary and Edmonton elected progressive mayors. In Edmonton, Amarjeet Sohi, a former bus driver and trade unionist who was once a political prisoner in India and served as a minister in Justin Trudeau's cabinet from 2015 to 2019, was elected and he replaced Mayor Don Iveson, who did not seek re-election. Over in Calgary, Jody Gondek, a champion of the controversial Green Line LRT, who was born in the United Kingdom where her parents immigrated from Punjab. She was elected to city council in Calgary's Ward 3 in 2017. She holds a PhD in urban sociology, and she will be Calgary's first woman mayor and the first BIPOC woman mayor. In addition to these two historic election results, there were also two ballot questions posed to voters across the province. The first one was on equalization. The second one was on daylight savings time. And then if you lived in Calgary you got a third vote on whether or not fluoride should be in your water. So Erica, before we get into the mayoral results, let's talk about these questions first. So the question op about equalization asked, quote, should section 36.2 of the Constitution Act of 1982, Parliament and the Government of Canada's commitment to the principle of making equalization payments be removed from the Constitution, end quote. Just for those who don't know what equalization is, just because I also was not super familiar with what exactly it was doing, equalization is where the federal government makes equalization payments to provincial governments to help address fiscal disparities among the provinces based on estimates of provinces' fiscal capacity, which is basically their ability to generate tax revenue. A province that does not receive equalization payments is often referred to as a quote-unquote have province, while conversely one that does not is called 
a quote unquote have not province. In 2020, 2021, five provinces will receive equalization payments, Ontario, BC, Saskatchewan, and Newfoundland and Labrador. This makes equalization not only a federal matter because it is in the constitution. Amending the constitution requires agreement from seven provinces that represent 50% of the population in Canada. In the face of this high threshold for altering the fundamental structure of the confederation, a yes vote by just one province is meaningless. And so this tiny little fact, but important fact, is acknowledged on the Elections Alberta website, which notes that, quote, the result of this vote is binding only on the provincial government to pursue the action directed by the majority vote not on the federal government to amend the Constitution Act of 1982, end quote. But at the same time, it is worth examining why this question was being put to Albertans in the first place. And so, you know, Jason Kenney complains that Alberta is getting screwed by the equalization program. And, you know, these these complaints are the latest in a long tradition of Alberta, Albertaing. So these complaints can basically be summarized as follows. Alberta's booming economy brings prosperity to all Canadians. But when the economy falls along with oil prices, Canada is still sending money to Quebec. So basically, this sort of framing, making Alberta a victim, misstates the purpose of the equalization program, which is not to ensure that all provinces have similar economic outcomes. So Erica, as our resident economist, (laughs) it seems like Alberta is voting yes on this based on early results. Um, The final results will probably be announced the day after or two days after this recording. And so by the time you hear this, it'll already be out. But Erica, as as an Albertan, talk to me about the history of equalization and what you remember growing up. I mean, the National Energy Program still looms large in Alberta's consciousness The National Energy Program was basically an energy policy of the federal government from 1980 to 1985. Think Pierre Trudeau, okay? So this is why the Trudeau name is mud for a long time in Alberta, okay? So Energy Minister Mark Lalonde in 1980, uh, in connection with the Liberal government of, P- of Prime Minister Pierre Elliott Trudeau, introduced following the oil crises and stagflation of the 1970s, a highly controversial policy that basically pitted um, centralized economic na- nationalism and federal aspirations of energy self-sufficiency against provincial jurisdiction with hundreds of billions of dollars in oil revenue at stake. And so the result was a dispute that basically sparked intense opposition and anger in the West and fueled the rise of the Reform Party, which liter- like which, which eventually, as you know, took over the Conservative Party. So basically what happened was much more federal involvement in the energy sector. New taxes and price controls were introduced and it aimed to conserve oil by helping consumers switch from oil to natural gas and electricity for home heating, which may actually explain why natural gas is used a lot and more in Alberta than I see here. Mm. So anyway, I think what happened was the price controls. So 
it limited the profits of private industry and royalties paid to oil producing provinces. Yeah, it was a friggin' disaster, I would say, in terms of Alberta. It really did devastate economically the province, where people were like, remember, we're talking about the 1980s, where you had rapid inflation. So think about those two things happening at the same time, and how it squeezed Albertans, where people were like walking away from their homes. That's how bad it was. It was devastating. And people remember that. So I think that You have that looming over the background in terms of federal interference in Alberta's economy. And from that, Jason Kenney has built his anti-equalization stance. And so these transfer payments that provinces receive from the federal government, they can go into the Canada Health Transfer and the Canada Social Transfer. Mm -hmm. And basically the goal of the program is to ensure, quote unquote, reasonably comparable public services are provided across the country. So that includes things like childcare, education, and welfare programs. So what would not receiving equalization payments do? Well, you can't really not receive equalization payments. It's kind of constitutional. <laughs> like I know, but in, in, if, if Jason Kenney, for example, is, you know, anti-equalization, what's the solution then? Or has he even proposed a solution? No, it's the, it's, it kind of rings of like the Brexit, we can go it alone kind mm-hmm. of idea. And that's what's so troubling, mm-hmm. right? Is that it's very Brexit. And right. so, you know, and <laughs> look what's happening over there. It's a friggin' disaster. Not great. It's a friggin' economic disaster that O'Toole has hitched his wagon to. I would like to see that piece, by the way. Point being that from like equalization is constitutional because it is the primary mechanism by which federation occurs in terms of services. Okay. So the idea is no matter where you go in Canada, you can access services, comparable services, right? And the way the federal government ensures that is through equalization payments, Canada health transfer. So anywhere you go in Canada, you're supposed to have similar access and similar level of care. Yeah. Um, So it's not like, it's not like going between Georgia and New York, you know, So that's what it's supposed to do. Smooth out the quality of services and ensure federalism. Does it really ultimately matter that this vote took place and that Alberta could likely pass it? Because, I mean, seven provinces aren't going to support So you're like, what's the fucking point? Is that it? Is that really the question? Well, I mean, I think Trudeau had some sort of reaction to this vote. And he was just like, that's nice for you. More. Yeah, I, I know. Which literally for once he got it right, I feel. Like, yeah, it was like, it's just like Jason Kenny was like the little kid who tried doing something and Trudeau like patted him on the head and ruffled his hair. Yeah. That's yeah, a good yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> But isn't that interesting just to, sorry, I'm going to take a, a bit of digression here, but isn't that interesting how different a year and a half or two years in a pandemic makes. Because two years ago, Jason Kenney was toe-to-toe with Trudeau and looked like he was winning. Mm -hmm. Now it's the complete opposite. And we all know why. Jason Kenney, you know, basically devastated, let COVID in and devastated Alberta. 
and Alberta's oh. economy. What a big failure. And we will, I'm sure we'll have a Jason Kenney special at some point because I think there's a lot there and there's a lot to recount. And then he comes in and with his libertarian streak, he fights with all the unions, the same people he needs right now. So not the smartest approach, right? But anyway, coming back to equalization, this is Jason Kenney's baby because this is what he started with when he came in, a fair deal for Alberta. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it was used to foment and galvanize anger and frustration with the economy and the feds and oil and da 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 to serve as his power base and to serve as a power base against the federal government. So within the province against the NDP and now, you know, federally. So this was one of the big sort of pieces of that. And then the pandemic hit and then he failed. And right now this is what he has left. It's also, in my opinion, a distraction from Mm. the devastating, I don't even, now I'm thinking of why am I going to Alberta? (laughs) The devastating impact of COVID and especially the Delta variant. It's unfortunate that those same people that he, you know, he galvanized are the same people who are probably against a lot of the restrictions for COVID. Uh, Be careful what you wish for, you know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's, that's really, I mean, the NDP apparently outraised the UCP in the summer. (laughs) So it's very, I, I think, I think Alberta is very interesting right now. Alberta politics have always been kind of wild. You know what I mean? And one of the things I realize as an aside is that a lot of national media doesn't know how to cover Alberta. They think of Alberta as, um, as this, as Texas, basically. Mm-hmm. When Alberta, like the main, like two cities in Alberta are, kind of turning like Austin, right? And Alberta has has a very large urban or city, and I'll include suburban, rural distinction. I would say that provincially and maybe even federally that the rural areas of Alberta are probably overrepresented. And so you get you get results like you do, right? Not to say that Cal- Calgary is perfect, it's not. The other thing, too, is Alberta is increasingly, increasingly diverse, and it's very young. And I think those two demographic trends are important in terms of framing stories about Alberta. It's more progressive than people think, and it functions better in some ways than Ontario, especially when it comes to healthcare. Well, not now, maybe, (laughs) but structurally it does. And my friend and I were talking about it just the other day, just about how, for example, how the hospitals haven't really, like a couple of the hospitals haven't really taken up like the benefits of some digital organization and getting things done in Ontario and suggesting new ideas in Ontario is much more difficult than in Alberta. So I think that it's just, it's just very interesting to see how media that comes that who's honestly whose direction comes from a downtown Toronto office really shows Alberta 
So the second question that was put to Albertans on the 18th was, quote, do you want Alberta to adopt year-round daylight savings time, which is summer hours, eliminating the need to change our clocks twice a year, end quote. And so daylight savings time has an interesting history in Alberta. In 1946, municipal plebiscites, voters in Calgary and Edmonton favored switching to daylight savings time. Instead, two years later, the provincial government passed the Daylight Savings Time Act, an ironic name given that it still barred any municipality from observing daylight savings time or any time zone other than Mountain Standard Time. So Alberta was still quite a rural province then, and farmers in particular were strongly opposed to the changes. While things like office hours and bus schedules mean city dweller schedules are fixed to the clock, farmers' working hours are typically determined by daylight. So even if the social credit government back in the day in Alberta wanted to introduce daylight savings time, the political cost from its rural base would have been too high. After being narrowly rejected in a 1967 provincial plebiscite, Albertans finally approved daylight savings time in 1971, making it the last province to to do so. But of course, that doesn't count Saskatchewan, which has its own time zone, and it goes between two. So that's cool for people who live there and those of us who need to contact and meet with people who live in that province. Never any idea what time it is there. Anyway. No, totally. Campaigns against daylight savings time have become stronger as more evidence of its negative effects have become clearer from health impacts like increased risk of heart attacks, cancer and depression to public safety concerns over increased traffic and workplace accidents. And so this idea of a quote unquote permanent daylight savings time has been gaining traction in recent years. For example, the Yukon voted for it last year and several U.S. states have passed bills that will enact it once Congress approves them. And, you know, even Russia tried to do it in 2011. But, uh, you know, the late winter sunrises proved so unpopular that the government reversed it in 2014. You know what? That's kind of like living in Ontario or in Ottawa. So that could be real cool. Can't wait. Can't wait for more dark. Um, (laughs) But this is an important consideration for Albertans. Because on January 1st, Calgary saw the sunrise at 8.37 a.m. and set at 4.42. So shifting to year-round daylight saving sign would give later sunsets, but also sunrises. So in that instance, the sunrise would have been at 9.37 a.m. And northern Alberta currently has a seven-hour difference between their winter and summer sunsets. So this proposed change would reduce that by one hour in exchange for a five and a half hour seasonal difference in sunrise times. Wow, that sounds not great. Um, no, the dif- the differentials between northern Alberta mm-hmm. and southern Alberta are pretty huge. There's a chart that we included in the um, in the show notes, and I'm looking at it now, and it's in- actually incredible. Summer hours, northern Alberta, sunrise, 4.46 a.m., sunset, 10.58 p.m. The proposed, like, year-round hours, sunrise, 10.12 a.m., sunset, 5.02 p.m. I was just like, that's a big bloody difference. Like, holy, man. Like you said, five and a half hours, right? Yeah. We already joke about, 
you know, going to work and coming home from work before the sun is up and missing the entire daytime. Exactly. Can you imagine? Listen, I totally understand that switching is bad for our bodies and it's just like a really hard adjustment. And, you know, kids especially have a really hard time with it, but oh, being in the dark for so long. No. And think of what that's going to do to mental health. Well, listen, we were just in a pandemic in several lockdowns. Like that wasn't good for our mental health. I can't imagine how this would be either. Yeah. And, you know, with then you have alcoholism. Um, Somebody was was talking about increased rate for diabetes and obesity and all this because we don't get as much sunrise or sunlight. And so this is really bad for anywhere north of Edmonton. The other thing, too, is um, I just want to reiterate how important that rural rural sector is in Alberta. As you were talking about the history, the farmers Mm -hmm. in Alberta. Do they matter? Okay. <laughs> they may not matter here, but they matter in Alberta. And so as a political constituency, and you need at least some of them on board to win. It's just the way it is. On that note, Erica, I think we're about done. As we said, become a subscriber, badbitchypodcast.substack.com. Sign up for a monthly or an annual subscription. You not only get full podcast episodes. We've got a whole bunch of interviews that we're trying to schedule. We've got events. We've got the show notes. We've got the whole shebang that you can get once you become a paid subscriber. And we will also be doing a cabinet special episode with some special guests. So make sure you are subscribed, you know, both on Apple podcasts, wherever your podcast, but also on Substack where it is actually where we send the full episodes out. Yeah. The full episodes aren't on the podcatchers. So the, you're like, this is what I noticed. So I get the full, obviously if you're a subscriber, you get the email and you get the full episode, you get a link to the full episodes. If you're not a subscriber and you'll still get the, subs- the non-subscriber feed coming through like Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. But it's not the full episode. Just to let you know. On that note, Erica, we're going to go for beer soon. Yes, we are. We get to hang out today. Fun. Yay.